Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Straight ahead on the Insiders this morning, Steve King is fighting back while critics say, get out. This has been the most intense period of the Iowa congressman's career. It all follows those comments about white supremacy and white nationalism. Senator Chuck Grassley is here to talk about who King is deep down. Plus, 2020 feels like that'll probably be the number of Democrats running for president right now next year, right? Well, Pete D'Alessandro is here talking about his old boss, Bernie Sanders, some others who are looking at running, and what the activists in Iowa want. And in the Insider's Quick Six, what the importance of 15 will be for this new Democratic majority in the House. Good morning. Congressman Steve King is fighting for his political career. Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, and Iowa's Dave Lovesack, they've all said that King should resign from Congress. This follows years of comments by King about migrants, immigrants, race, and culture. But it's this one lately here. White nationalists, white supremacists, Western civilization. How did that language become offensive? Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? That's what King had said to the New York Times. He claims since that the left, the media, and the anti-Trump crowd, they're all distorting what he meant by those comments. Now, the challenge for him is that Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, and scores of others have also condemned his remarks. They may be part of the establishment GOP in King's mind, but that is not all who's coming after him. White House spokeswoman Sarah Sanders also condemned King's words. So did Senators Joni Ernst and Chuck Grassley, along with Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Ernst was the most critical here and called King's New York Times comment racist. Now, Congressman King is fighting back and he's raising money off this for his reelection from the comments. And he's trying to use this to help him in 2020. He had said in one of his fundraising emails. So now the New York Times, the paper that relentlessly and dishonestly attacks President Trump, is coming after me by shamelessly twisting my words, quoting me out of context and using their leftist comrades in the media to parrot their false talking points. In short, they're coming after me hard. King directly came after those calling his words racist. In his email pitch, it goes on to say, I reject those labels and the ideology they define. He also goes after a few others as he keeps going on here. Now, I talked with, with Senator Chuck Grassley about all of this, and he said, that House Republicans were within their right to strip King of his committee assignments. And he also addressed whether King can be effective now as a congressman without serving on any more committees. They have a right to, uh, to uh, take, view, uh, take positions uh, when any one member brings discredit uh, to the House of Representatives. They've done that. That action speaks for itself. Uh, in regard to the comments that were made. Uh, of course, I detest uh, comments about 
white supremacy. Uh, I condemn them. I wouldn't make them. And, uh, and I've said that several times, and that's basically what I have said on that subject. And I won't uh, go any further than that because that's the way I feel about it. Uh, and uh, they're, they're just plain wrong to say anything like that, that one class of people is, uh, has some sort of ability that other classes of people don't have. We're all human beings in God's eyes, and that's the way I see them. Uh, in regard to uh, the uh, ability of him to do his job, it'll, he still will have, he'll have lesser ability to do that because so much work, particularly in the House of Representatives, is done in committee. Uh, and not being a member of the committee would lessen your influence. On the other hand, uh, in the Senate, uh, if I'm not a member of the Transportation Committee, but there's interest in Iowa about transportation, then I can go and talk to individuals on that Transportation Committee to give them my views of what should be done. It's not quite effective if you're there debating in the committee and voting in the committee. Uh, he can do that same thing with any committee he wants to in the House of Representatives. That's what he's going to have to do. Now, Senator Grassley's known King for two decades. He campaigned on King's behalf last November, just like the governor and Senator Ernst did. All of them say they will not endorse King in his primary for re-election in 2020. But I did want to know from Senator Grassley, deep down, what kind of person does he think Congressman King is? Over a period of the 18 years is in, in Congress, I think you're asking me to recall conversations we've had and I can't recall any of those conversations, so nothing stands out along the lines of what you asked me. And then when you're asking me to think in terms of what is in the heart and mind of an individual, it would be uh, wrong for me to try to draw any conclusions, uh, even in the sense of I've been married 64 years, to know everything that my wife think about, every little thing. So no, I can't go any further. All right, let's bring our first guest in here, Pete D'Alessandro, longtime Democratic advocate, uh, activist, and strategist. He's candidate for the 3rd Congressional District last year. Thanks for coming back, sir. It's good being here. All right, you heard Senator Grassley. What do you make about his talk of King? We, we, look, we have 20 years of statements, and actually it was the New York Times just put out a, a neutral, no, uh, uh, with no other comments, the list of the things that he has said for 20 years, the racist and bigoted things he said. We've known about this guy for 20 years with the things he said. So to say you can't get into his heart or his soul, I, I'd probably agree with that, but we can sure know what his words have been. And I just find it, uh, actually it's kind of troubling that it, really the reason that, that everyone's coming after him now on that side is because he's vulnerable. It was okay when he was saying it for 20 years and he was getting 65% of the vote. Uh, he's in a little different situation now and now they're moving to neutrality, which I also see as kind of problematic. Look, the Democratic Party had to go through this. I'm a Democrat in my lifetime. I, I was young, but we had the George Wallaces and the people like Steve King in our party. And I just know in my heart that if I had been of age at that time, I wouldn't have been neutral about George Wallace. I would have been opposing him. And I would hope that our senators and our governor would be able to get to that point too, 
where in their hearts they can't be neutral about someone like Steve King. Uh, Democratic Congressman Dave Loebsack had joined the crowd in saying that King should resign. He put out a statement about that. Uh, you're close with Tim Ryan, yeah. uh, the, the congressman who may run for, for president uh, from Ohio here. Um, he was part of this censure effort, and then they kind of backed off that under uh, leadership from uh, House Democratic leadership kind of backed off. Why? Well, I actually, I talked to Tim last night. I talked to Congressman Ryan last night about this. He's not backing off, so I can't speak for leadership, but sure. I know he's not backing off. And in fact, uh, he's he's at a point now where he's, he he feels there should be a zero tolerance uh, with with Steve King. He is going to keep pushing for censure. He thinks it's the right thing to do. And if Steve King makes these type of uh, uh, statements in the future, he's going to move for expulsion. And can they really do that? Well, they've ex they've for uh, comments, though. I mean, if he's not committed a crime, can do they really have that power to kick I, him out? I, I believe the way I, I I understand it and the things that I have studied, that the House uh, sets their own rules and they get to seat their members, and it's up to them who they seat. All right, Randy Feenstra, the state senator, uh, the Republican from Hull, one of the challengers so far for King. All right, we talked about Tim Ryan. That means we're going to talk about 2020 here. Uh, we're seeing some more moves as some of these candidates get more serious about running. When we come back. What Pete thinks Democrats want in a nominee, plus we need to talk about his former boss to Bernie Sanders. We'll do that more next. The 2020 talk for Democrats seems to change week to week here. More Democrats kind of getting ready to run for president. So, Pete, uh, let's talk about your former boss here, Bernie Sanders. Um, he had a meeting with some of his staff about these pretty serious sexual harassment um, allegations. How does that impact things going forward? Well, well I think well, let's take it in two steps there. Uh, the thing about Bernie Sanders, and, and, and obviously I'm biased, is uh, I, I believe this is a meeting that, that he would have had regardless of whether he was going to run or not. At the core of this person is wanting to do the right thing and wanting to move uh, the right issues forward, and he realized that there was a problem that needed to be addressed. And this primarily concerns one person? Is that the way you look at it? Excuse me? Allegations against one person no, I, in this I, campaign? I, I think it was a, an, a, I know, I think what, what these women were trying to say was that all of us in leadership positions on that campaign, uh, even in the middle management where I was, uh, need to do better next time. And I think, I think that's absolutely true within the culture of, uh, of politics. I, I think we do need to do better. And I think that's what that meeting was about. Uh, in, in terms of uh, Bernie Sanders, I, I know he hasn't made a decision yet. I also know that this week that a grassroots uh, movement, which is really what the core of the Bernie Sanders campaign is, uh, 400 house parties around the country, um, somewhere between four and 5,000 people attended them, uh, you know, through um, uh, at, at the various uh, uh, parties. One in, there was at least one in every state. So the grassroots is, is still there if, if he decides to do it, but I know that he hasn't made his decision yet. How are you going to move closer. forward here? You're loyal to this guy. You liked him. You helped run things in our state last go around but you're tight with tim ryan too is also looking at this how you yeah, make this decision and, and you know what one of the reasons i really uh, love both of them but one of the reasons i love tim ryan is when we first uh, started talking about me helping him we uh we talked about the uh, official piece of me helping him lasting until january 1st because he knew from the, our first meeting that if bernie sanders ran for president and bernie sanders thought I could be of help, that I would be there for him. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, moving forward here. Uh, Sherrod Brown, uh, the Ohio senator, also announced his uh, work with Dignity Tour that will bring him here. So those they both have Iowa stops. I have to ask you about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She's all over the cable TV, right? And so, uh, you know, the media, national media kind of enamored with what she represents, uh, being so young, uh, coming out of New York and knocking off an incumbent. And she's kind of taken on the party's structure, right? Well, how do you view that? Well, I, this is a party that needs its structure to be taken on from time to time. 
Uh, we, 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 we tend to have this kind of thing every uh, generation or so where we have to make the, the, this fight. What I really love about her is uh, she kind of harkens back to, uh, to one of my, another one of my old bosses, Paul Wellstone, who understood that movement politics, if done correctly, can be connected to actual governance. And if you look at how she's acting, she's keeping the movement politics part of her uh, her legislative uh, and what agenda. Do you, what's her movement? What what is that movement she's capturing? Well, I, I think you know there. I, I think it's 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 the next generation uh, about to uh, come into leadership. Actually, have come into leadership, obviously, mm -hmm. with her and Abby, uh, in, in in Dubuque, people like that. But it's also the specific issues, like uh, you know, the, the the question starts at fifteen dollars an hour. The question mm -hmm. starts at Medicare for all. You know, there's there's not a lot of nuance on. She's talking about raising taxes on the rich, maybe okay. going back to 70 percent yeah. threshold. Right. You know, this country from 1944 to 1962 had the greatest uh, uh, period of economic growth in the history of the world, and I think the top marginal rate was never lower than 91 percent during that period. And is of that time. is that kind of the core of where the party is? Do you see the party kind of moving a little more left? That's where the guts of the activists yeah, are. Yeah, and, and actually, oh, definitely the guts of the activists. But the other thing I think about it is. It's not as radical as you might want to make it, you think it is. It's really a case of going back to who we were. It's really, most of the stuff that... And she's okay with the radical term, well, she said yeah, that. Yeah, well, you know what, maybe if, if Franklin Roosevelt was radical, then yeah, I'm okay with the term. If, if, you're still, if you're the one that's defining it, I'm okay with that. And so I guess the New Deal would be considered pretty radical, but I consider myself a New Deal Democrat, and I bet you uh, AOC does too. Uh, okay, uh, you're one of those activists that, you know, confers with a lot of these folks who are looking to run it. Who's making the moves here in our state? Well, a lot of, you know, right now I saw, I saw a list that there's eight that have actually either said they're running or have done the exploratory, mm -hmm. probably another 20 that have been here or t are thinking about it. Uh, the, 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 the person that I've heard the most about recently is Sherrod Brown uh, coming into the state. Um, and what I find interesting about him is I think a lot of Democrats my age and older, maybe even a little younger than me, he's going to remind a lot of uh, Iowa Democrat caucus goers of Tom Harkin. And that's not a bad thing in this state. Um, the other interesting thing is we always look at this in the Iowa lens. That's where we are. What I think is really great, and, and it's just so empowering, is you look at Sherrod Brown, you look at um, um, Castro from Texas, uh, you, you, you look at, at some of these folks, and they're... Um, they have Iowa folks that are on their national teams, mm -hmm. and and that's kind of cool. And Castro had uh, Derek Eden, Derek the, Eden. the yeah. former and, party and, and, chair. And then, of course, uh, Sarah Benzing, who I think is one of the, the best with, organizers with to Brown. come out of here in forever, and I'm sure I'm forgetting. Uh, well, Brennan Summers, my old friend Brennan sure. Summers with, with, with Elizabeth Warren. So it's great to see these Iowa folks at the national level, too, and I think that's good for the party. And it kind of keys you in about where they're looking at, at least early on, about the importance of Iowa in this kind of early Absolutely. state layout here. Absolutely. All right, uh, if you'll hang tight, we'll have you back for the quick six here at the end of the show. Here. When we come back, let's talk about the Iowa legislature. The legislature's getting ready for week two of this new session. So we come back, a conversation about how two women in this record class of women at the state house plan to make sure they are part of the efforts this session. The makeup of the Iowa legislature is still not reached parity when it comes to gender, but this year, nearly one-third of the body's 150 members are women. Here are what two of them told us. 
It's a huge honor. It feels like a tremendous responsibility, that's for sure, uh, to be part of such an amazing, amazing group. Um, there are women that I have gotten to know over the last several years that we've become very close, and so it's an incredible honor to be able to serve with them. Uh, but I think it also just goes to show that Iowans as a whole want more diversity in their representation, and they really want to get more gender equity and parity, and so I'm just thrilled to be a part of that. I, and I've talked to the people the new people, and we're all on the same page. And, and you know, the thing is, is it's just like starting a new job. Um, you'd be nerv nervous if you were starting a new job. It's just a, a job that carries a lot more responsibility. <laughs> but don't you think this is harder than starting a new job in the sense that you have to find a temporary home, too? You got to learn everything about the new job. You can find a second place to live. I mean, it seems like it's harder, right? Um, it, it's probably uh, the most difficult job I've ever interviewed for and gotten ready for, but um, I, I go, I went at it with um, <laughs> full abandon. I, you know, we really worked hard for this. We really want to make a difference. That women set a little bit of a different tone, uh, but I really do believe that to be true. And I think that's one of the things that my district noticed about me too when I was running, that I do have a different tone. And I'm really focused on bringing people together to actually solve problems and not just create more of them. I think women um, compromise a little bit easier, in my opinion. Um, I think we can multitask well, and I think we can sit down, work on problems together, and get things done. Madsen wants to focus on making child care accessible and affordable. Myers is a nurse and wants to focus on mental health. So not just women who will have a greater say this year at the State House, but also the newcomers. Next, let's hear from one of the rookies. A lot of newbies in the Iowa legislature this year, 22 in the House, 9 in the Senate. It's a lot to learn. You have to do it fast. A lot of responsibilities like these rookies have never experienced before. Great deal of pride and uh, hum I'm being yes. humble. Uh, it's an it's a excellent experience for me to come in and serve the people of House District 44 and make Iowa a better place to live, raise a family, retire, and do all the things that they want to do in this great state. So I feel I, humility is, is overwhelming and I'm looking forward to being a part of this uh, chamber. And I can make this one promise to the people of my district in the state of Iowa that I'll work my tail off. What we have to focus on in Iowa is everybody, the entire state, whether you're rich or poor or black or white. And we need to make sure our laws, our taxes and our laws make sure they benefit everybody in this state. So I think one thing that we need to work on extremely hard is we need to educate ourselves and make sure that we are learning and we're taking care of the business and what I mean by that is that we take the time to read and we take the time to understand and most importantly we take the time to listen. I think that is the most important thing we can do and and so I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go to work and it's a it's a privilege and an honor to be here. All right up next $15 an hour the economy and a prediction. Pete is back with the Insiders Quick Sex next. Pete D'Alessandro is back for the Insider's Quick Six here. All right, sir, question one. How vital would this $15 an hour push for minimum wage be to House Democrats on the national level? I think it's one of the vital issues for, for Democrats, and it's also one of the vital issues for the country. There's not a state in the union 
that you can live in a, in a decent part of town and get a two-bedroom apartment if you're not making at least $15 an hour. Question two, what's the economic message that you think caucus goers want to get behind for 2020? In, in equity. We, we, have to, we have to bring this system back to where uh, more people are doing well. Question three, how should they talk about Donald Trump, these candidates? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, look, it can't just be about Donald Trump. We have to stand for something. Because if it's about Donald Trump, he's already proven his supporters are going to get in that bunker and they're going to fight even harder. Stay off of the, the nuttiness of him and talk about the issues that matter to people. I was out there for nine months. I didn't hear anybody ask anything but substantive questions when I was out there. Uh, question four, in your gut, how many serious caucus competitors are we going to have in our state? I think, I think it'll, it'll start at somewhere around 18 to 20. I think by the time we get to caucus day, there'll be anywhere between 10 and 12 that are still fighting for delegates. We're going to need a bigger table here to fit them all yeah. in here. All right, question five. I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's a Democrat to watch, or maybe even a couple of them, when it comes to finding a candidate to take on Joni Ernst next year? Well, I think, there, I think there's a few out there. Uh, I, I've heard rumblings that Teresa Greenfield's uh, thinking about it. I'll tell you what. Who ran for Congress Yeah, briefly. and I'll tell you what. Just an amazing lady and just a good person and uh, the, the type of person that would, that, that would do very well if, if they can put the other things together. Um, obviously, we've heard uh, things about Tom Vilsack. Sure. I, I, I honestly believe he probably clears the field. He's so respected by so many people uh, throughout uh, his career here. Uh, one of my uh, favorite bosses of all time. And then I think there might be, if, 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 if uh, Secretary Vilsack doesn't run, I think there's a few wild cards out there that, that, might, be, uh, that might be coming out that, that would be a little more unique type of candidates, which might be exactly what you need to beat someone like Joni Ernst. All right. Finally, your prediction. My prediction. I believe um, if uh, if he's on uh, if, if he's on the ballot next year, if he's still in Congress, Steve King, uh, if he decides to run, will either be the Republican nominee uh, for Congress. He will win that primary, or unless the legislature changes their uh, changes the rules here, he will be an independent running in November. Uh, because of the primary situation, like you're, with the yep, runoffs, you're allowed to run. In, you're, there's no uh, spoil sports law in, in Iowa, and you have plenty of time to get on the ballot as an independent. He will be on the ballot in November or the other. of 2020. All right, thank you, sir. Always All right, good man. to see you. Good. Thanks for being with us. Let's stay connected throughout the week. See you next week for the Insiders.